Garuda melee slain, but it was not by our hands. The Imperial War Machine has finally brought its full might to bear, and the Black Wolf is prepared to use it. Where once the fate of Eorzea was at the mercy of rogue gods, it now finds itself staring down the barrel of the Ultima Weapon, perhaps the greatest of ancient Alag's creations. The realm needs the Scions now more than ever before, and it's up to the few left standing to bring the Order back from the brink. I'm Jane. And I'm Nero. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Welcome to the penultimate episode covering the ARR MSQ for 2.0. Yes, we are just about there. You know, uh, Operation Archon looms on the horizon, but that's... We'll we'll find out what that is later today. We have to uh, we have to bring the Scions back because uh, right now the Scions are. Like, kind of a nerdy teen, this guy who knows how to use a wrench real good, you, and... That's it, really. That's about it. Everyone else is either captured or missing, or dead, but no one who matters died, as we covered earlier. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, none of the named characters died, or at least none of the named characters who have lines died. Naraxia has a name, but fucking who cares about the cabbage? The poor cabbage. Pour one out for this cabbage. Got spin kicked by a Power Ranger and died instantly. So sad. You hate to see it. But yeah, we gotta we gotta try and and you know dust ourselves off here, you know, uh, clean tidy up the waking sands, maybe mop up some of the blood stains, you know, put the put the vase back up. They knock some vases over, and just try to try to kind of shuffle all the papers back together and figure out what to do next. But uh, it turns out somebody's kind of lurking around in the solar today. They notice, when when you enter, Alphano notices that there are signs of habitation, uh, recent habitation in the Waking Sands, and that shouldn't be right because, you know, as we know, the entire town is avoiding the place because of all of the screens and whatnot, and it's not like there's any surviving scions to hang out in there or are there because as when you enter the solar you find Ida waiting there yes she's here and she's shocked not only that you all managed to get out but also that Sid is alive because uh, if you remember correctly Sid everybody basically just thought this dude exploded which is interesting because it, it, it there was like an impression at least that i had that sid was like being hidden by the church because like somebody knew who he was and like asked the church to hide him while he's like you know yeah. not in his correct minds but it seems like that's not the case at all it seems like it was a complete and utter coincidence that the church guy just also so happened to be like a scion collaborator if that is the case, then it's not something most of the Scions knew about. Obviously, Alphano somehow learned about it, but I doubt yeah. he's the one who organized all of that. Yeah, how did he find out? 
Like if he this was, wasn't if this wasn't a like deliberate choice by like Minfilier or something, like how does how does I Alfie mean he's know? a he's a smart cookie. He's probably saw him Marquesh wandering around and goes, wait a minute, that guy looks anyway, familiar. I've seen However, this guy before. On the other hand, he was like ten when the calamity happened, so like I don't fucking know. Yeah, bear in mind, uh, remember, Alphano, 15-year-old. This is a baby. Yes. So, Ida is is happy to see that not everyone was killed or captured by the Imperials. And she's also pretty... She, she's not, she didn't take the sort of aftermath, seeing the aftermath of, of Livia's little visit very well. She didn't see any of the bodies, because by that point, you would already clear them out. But she did see all the blood... Oh boy, and was there blood. But luckily, you know, a little bit a little bit of spit shine here and there, some elbow grease, and you know, that place cleans up right as rain. Uh, no no more blood in there. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Because it's not only her that's still around, it's Ishtola. She is also still active. She's not here right now. Uh, she's out in Limsa, I believe, doing some research. But she helped Ida like, clean the place up and kind of comforted her, which is very nice. Yes, Yushola also has a hunch as to what is going on with the other scions. Now, she does not believe they're dead. No, she thinks they've been captured because Gaius is apparently very interested in the Echo. Uh, It's yet another power that gives you some level of dominion over the primals, or at least that's how he sees it. So he really wants it for himself. And he, uh, I must, I must remember, she's an old da gathering information of that, not Limsa. She's talking to like uh, someone of the Immortal Flames. So instead of like rushing out to meet her where she is, Alphano suggests, "Why don't we just like take five and chill, just rest? We've had a busy, busy day." Yeah, and you know what? That makes a lot of sense. So everybody decides I'm going to fall asleep exactly where I'm standing, and they sit on the floor and take a nap. Listen, when you're tired, you're tired. <laughs> it's it's got it's got very like it's it's got very like kindergarten nap time vibes to the whole thing sid uh, i don't think he's sleeping he's just leaning up against the wall and resting his eyes everyone else is asleep though yeah everybody else is kind of falling all over themselves you are asleep kind of but not fully see you are tuned in much like all of our viewers into radio free heidelin because she's calling you on the on the crystal phone right now and uh, she's making you see a lot of very pretty stars falling out of, like, a big swirling vortex in the sky. Uh, that's probably not relevant to anything. Yeah, so you, you hear her voice bid you, you know, the, these arc words, hear, feel, think, right? And you see these this star shower, and then, yet again, you are in front of the Mother Crystal, this huge... The, the huge body of Heidelin herself, and she gives you some sort of cryptic advice. She says to beware the one who holds the crimson brand, for he is the attendant of shadows. Yes, she also assures you that she's going to be with you and your friends in the final fight here against the powers of darkness, that these, these beautiful crystals you've been collecting this whole time, they're going to be your sword and your shield. They're gonna they're gonna help you out. You're gonna use the power of all the Ocarina of Time medallions to uh, to to get through and save the day, and that's great. You'll love to see that. She says that you will stare into the heart of darkness. I hear there's, there's a book a, about that. Yeah, 
And I, I, you know, I presume that the Crimson Brand refers to La Habrea and his sort of uh, mask situation that we see later. The Assians yeah. have they, the have actual masks, but they also have these, like, magical projections of patterns that also sort of go as their kind of identifying symbol. Yeah, sort of face holograms, if you will. Uh, then you wake up. And Yashtola is back. And and she is also like, oh, fuck, is that Sid? Wow. Yeah, pe- people people in this uh, in this portion of the game are quite surprised at Sid being there. Once again, Sid, main character of ARR. They're, like, Sid is the person who everyone's, like, really excited to see, like, like, oh, seven hells, it's Sid. Oh, also, uh, oh, it's also the Warrior of Light. Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. And so Yashtola, you know, she, she kind of waxes poetic about how Louis Soi's, uh kind of protection is still around them and like oh maybe we were all kind of came together for a reason yeah and that's and that's beautiful a beautiful sentiment and then she says all right listen up everybody i know where the bitches be at they are hiding they, they are hiding them in castrum sentry or sentry it's sentry. i don't really know i, I yeah. believe it's sentry makes the most sense so castrum sentry is one of many imperial strongholds scattered throughout eorzea uh, it is the one in near the settlement of Mordona, uh, to the north of Ulda, and it's pretty hard to get into as it is, you know, a, a fortress, an iron Magitek fortress. And yes, yeah, she she says that she does believe that Gaius intends to somehow use the Echo to uh, further his his anti primal goals here. Yes, and to. Uh, to fucking figure out what's going on around the the castrum to to survey the the security levels you have to go back to the fucking observatorium and and talk to uh sir portelaine yes luckily you don't have to consort with the with the pointy hat gnome elves or anything like that luckily they are not required for this uh, but you do need to talk to the dude who's like in charge of all of the soldier types around here and he is, you know, he he's he's been keeping an eye on uh, various troop movements passing, you know, around Ishgard's sort of sphere of influence, and he knows, oh yeah, totally, they took all your friends to Castrum Sentry, but there's also a secret second piece of information. It turns out that uh, two uh, roguish individuals were being transported on an airship that mysteriously crashed. Uh, for no reason, and they got away. A, a Rogadin and a Lalafell. Uh, wonder who that could be. And Sid immediately knows that that's Biggs and Wedge, who, funnily enough, we also met them fleeing from Imperial patrols. These guys love crashing airships and fleeing from Imperial patrols. This time it goes way less smoothly, though, because they aren't crashing in, like, Limsa, the, 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 the nice temperate sea breeze of Lanosia. No, they are, uh running through the harsh frozen wastes of Quirthus. So it's kind of a race against the Garleans and also the elements to get to them first. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're helped out a little bit by the fact that, you know, the ironworks sort of uniform here is, uh, it's pretty puffy. It's pretty, uh, pretty well insulated, but, uh, but yeah, they, they're going to need a, a, a nice cup of hot chocolate when you pull them out of the snow drifts here, uh, which, f- uh, first up on that, on that list is you, you gotta find, you gotta find this little guy. You gotta find Wedge. Well, Where before be? we even start on that, there is actually a cutaway to 
castrum. I think it's Meridianum. Oh, right. Yes, there is. Because we see Gaius working on the Ultima Weapon. And he's getting ready for, for the, the main, the big finale year. He has sent ultimatums to each of the three great city-states, informing them that, hello, my name is Gaius Van Balesar. I have you may a have heard of me. Uh, you may have heard of me. You may remember me uh, from all of the times I've tried to invade you. Well, now I have a fuck huge muscle tar that can eat gods, and uh, you should just submit to the Garlean rule peacefully, and, and we will simply bring an enlightened age of, of peace and prosperity and stability to all of you unruly savages. He doesn't yeah. say it in so many words, but he, you know, basically it, what he it, means. It's the intent. It's the intent. And this this cutscene is actually interesting because Gaius sort of outlines some of his, like, ideology here because Gaius is not, like... He's interesting because he's not, like, inherently, like, this patriotic guy who, like, really wants Garlemald specifically to rule everything. Like, he does, but that's just because he works for them uh, and happens to agree with their methods. Like, for him, like, he, he goes on, like, a little tirade here about how, like, Eorzea is, like, constantly racked by, like, instability and like calamity because like every five minutes an elder god shows up and starts wreaking havoc with everything which to be fair that's true it does happen and it seems to suck pretty bad for everybody and so he he's like listen i just want to roll in here and just take everything over real fast with a giant display of force so nobody has to get hurt and then i'm gonna just eat all the primals and everything will be okay now that's a dumb ideology obviously but like he has one and that's the first person with an ideology we've seen so far in this game pretty much i mean he is like very much a subscriber to the great man uh, great man of history theory oh yeah with, big himse- time. with himself as the great man but he believes that the only person who can actually make lasting change is someone who is willing to like guide with a strong hand and all of that like it's it's very patriarchal it's very like I mean he's a fascist obviously but he it's interesting his like he he truly believes of course that he has the methods that that we need that Eorzea needs and that he believes that like once he proves himself you know that he's like he basically says they are begging us to like oust their spineless leaders and they crave the stability and enlightenment that I can provide them. They are, I, I only have to show them that I am capable. Yeah. And he's like, and, and like, obviously he's very wrong, but he has like actual legitimate reasons to believe the things he believes, which I think is kind of refreshing because for a pretty large portion of this game, most of the villains have not had like thoughts going on la is basically skeletor there was that heretic guy who just like "Ooh, i'm a sicko i love to watch itch guardians die and shit it's so fun yeah and the primals don't really have ideas they're they they kind of are ideas but they aren't they don't have ideas that's interesting enough on their own like they're they're sort of this like embodied will which is an interesting concept but it doesn't make them engaging it's they're not they're not deep characters they're like these living symbols and all of that but gaius here actually has like more going on as evidenced by his little conversation with riddaton where he uh he promotes him 
And Riddison is like, well, sir, I'm I'm not a, a true son of Garlem. I I couldn't possibly take such a such a thing. And like Gaius just says, no, you've earned it. Yeah, it's it's like it's this kind of cool like little moment where it shows that Gaius is like, you know, he's he's not all talk. He does actually believe in his like meritocratic, like supposedly perfect, like fatherland style society that he wants to 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 build here in Eorzea. Like I don't know how he thinks that's going to go when he has to answer to the Empire, because, like, clearly he wants to be the one who's, like, in charge of Eorzea's new direction, and he's just, like, a general, so I don't know like, how that's going to go over with Solus, but... <laughs> yeah, we never really see much of his opinion of the Emperor, and in fact, I, I get the sense that he doesn't really... Well, he's he's doing this expressly without permission, I believe. Like, I don't think this is on official orders at all. This is his own project. Yeah, I I believe way earlier that one really weird cutscene, we get told that like the internal strife inside of Garlemald, like politically, has just provided Gaius like a window to like kind of go off the leash and do whatever he wants. Yeah, so presumably what he's planning on is that he's he's going to prove that his model works and and basically tell the Imperial Corps to like fuck off and let me do my thing. But you know, we we'll, we'll see how that goes. So he sends Ridditon out to Castrum Occidens on the coast of Vilbrand, uh, just in case the Maelstrom get any funny ideas. And yeah, he he wants to, he wants to interdict the entire uh, the entire fleet here, which is probably a good idea considering honestly the Maelstrom is probably like seventy percent of the strength of the alliance. Yeah, I mean the the flames definitely seem like they have their shit mostly together. The adders, mm, the adders maybe not they so got much. Sticks. They um, got sticks. Yeah, the Maelstrom have boats and cannons and shit, and the the uh, the immortal flames I believe specialize in like magic. But the adders, uh, they got sticks, they got bows. Yeah, like not not useless certainly, but like against Magitek, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how well that's gonna go down. This this one's weird. The last line here is very strange. Oh, what, what was the last line? Well, he tells Livia to meet meet him in his quarters in one hour. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, God. Yeah, it's a really... It's a weird line in a weird series of, yeah, so of moments. We can't exactly talk about this yet, but between a certain point here and a certain point far in the future, there were, like, different ideas in how they wanted to present Gaius and Livia's relationship, I think. Yeah, and they just didn't really reconcile them. No. Uh, so, so we'll listen next episode. We'll oh. we'll talk about it because because we'll we'll get to a moment uh, yeah. where where it becomes kind of kind of a lot. But uh, but for now, just you know, we'll, we'll, we're gonna put a pin. We're yeah. gonna put a pin in this. Gonna pin it right up on the wall. And that pin's and we'll gonna stay there to for it. a really really long time. Like that. This is not like the, 
we I I won't just like fully discuss in detail what what it is. Just know that it's something that comes up in Shadowbringers. So that's how far away we are. Yeah, yeah. You you got like three years before we get there. So don't don't even worry about it. In the meantime, uh, dismal darkhold jump scare. So yeah, you get some directions from some guys they that point you towards uh where they might have seen wedge and they bring you to two rather infamous side dungeons that are not story important uh but they scare you enough to just sort of go near them like i really thought that i forgot that zamail darkhold was a story dungeon and i was very afraid because that dungeon sucks shit uh no it's not it's it's optional as is arum vale I knew that yeah. one was optional, but you know. Don't worry, we're gonna be doing that content. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't look forward to it. I hate Dismal Darkhold, but um, well, you know how it is. Yeah, we're gonna do it eventually. So you find Wedge hiding under a bridge uh, after following some footprints, and yeah. he's, he's he's crying. He's sticking his head in the sand. He's not happy. Biggs apparently led the Garleans away to allow Wedge to escape, uh, and also Wedge is like freezing and starving and miserable luckily you're right next to a place called monument tower this like very out of the way uh fort near the the mordona border so you get him in there and you and you give him a, a nice lady gives him some soup and you put him by the fire and you start looking for bigs and you do eventually find him completely pinned down by a huge mess of imperials yeah, though not before being led into a cave with a genuinely kind of shockingly strong amount of enemies. Like, like a ton of guys that do a shitload of magic damage to you, which um, you probably don't have good resistance against uh, at this point in the game. So you probably will just die. Like, you will just get your shit rocked. Thankfully, the game knows this, so you don't actually have to beat anything that's in this cave. You just have to go talk to Wedge after uh, after going in there and understanding that Biggs isn't in there. Yeah. So once you get to once you you find Biggs, uh, Yishtola and Ida also show up. Ida apparently has no sense of the cold because she is just wearing her normal outfit, which may I remind everyone is like a a sort of fluffy pirate piratey shirt and the shortest pair of shorts anyone has ever owned listen she she is literally the bitch who goes out in the snowstorm with a pair of shorts on and i i respect it i respect it so you, scary but i respect yeah it. you thrash these garlians and finally you you reunite the the fucking boys biggs wedge and sid are all back together yeah, and it's like a really sweet little moment. I, I like it a lot. I love I love Garland Ironworks. I love the boys. They're awesome. Uh, Wedge basically starts immediately sobbing. It turns out that uh, the the situation, of course, with them being in like a totally separate thing here with with the prisoner situation is the their their captors sort of realized pretty quickly that they are not actually scions and therefore have nothing to do with uh, the Echo and won't know anything about it, but they did realize that they're Carlian citizens, so they start to go through the extradition process to be sent back home, uh, which would probably be really bad for them. Uh, so they crash the they crash the plane. Unfortunately, with a lot of survivors, uh, perhaps would have been good to try and reduce the number of survivors on that plane. Well, they're too good at their jobs. They're too good at being engineers. 
That's true. But yeah, they were they were about to be extradited back to Garlemald's for some kind of horrible sentence, either forced labor camp or just the cyber guillotine or whatever they fucking execute people with in Garlemald. Probably forced labor based on what we know at this point. So then Yushtola kind of uh, has has a little fucking hypothesis here, which is very interesting. Because the thing is, the thing that makes the attack on the Wicking Sands so weird is that the surrounding town, Vesper Bay, was entirely untouched. Which is not the case of like an entire contingent of fucking Imperials led by one of the Black Wolf's legates just like rolled up, right? Yeah, like, literally nothing else was said. Like, none of the flames in the town that that guarded or anything, like, saw anything. Like, nobody at Horizon saw anything. Like, nobody saw anything, which is really weird. And there's really only one reasonable explanation for this, and that's that they were using some portals. Yeah, so I forgot. Yeah, Biggs and Wedge are the one that provide this information because they were there during the attack. And they say that the Imperials appeared out of nowhere, and, and Yishtola says that they, they must have used Asian teleportation to, like, warp directly into the Waking Sands. To be which fair, means, that would work pretty well. Which has the added thing of somebody told them where the Waking Sands is. Yeah, because as far as anyone is aware, the Waking Sands is, like, I think just, like, a dock warehouse. Yeah, it's just, like, a building. Like, it's it's not it's not the fucking seat of a secret society. So there's something uh, going on there. But now that the Ironworks is back, it's time to start working on cracking open Castrum Sentry and rescuing the rest of the Scions. Yes. And Sid comes up with a plan, a very simple plan. What if we just put on uh, an outfit, uh, a disguise, and we walk in the front door? What if we just did that? Sometimes the simplest plans are the best. Yeah. Uh, And and it's about as simple as they get, quite frankly. So you head to Mordona and the, the main settlement there, a town called Revenant's Toll. Now, Mordona is an interesting location. So... This is basically the in-game area of A Realm Reborn. A lot of the post-game stuff and, like, high-end level 50 stuff was centered here. And it's one of the most dynamic and interesting-looking areas in the game because Mordona was kind of almost ground zero for the Calamity. Like, I'm pretty sure it's very close to Cartano. And yeah, as it's, a result, it's, the closest, it's the closest thing to it, I believe. Yeah, and also the battle at Silver Tier Lake also took place there. So, you know, they've had it rough out there. Oh, yeah. And it's all fucked up. It's like an insane landscape full of giant jutting crystals of all elemental aspects. Like there's huge pot, like huge mountains of flaming crystals and, and spires of lightning crystals. And it's just all a a fucking like cool thing there's like haze in the air in some areas it's it's a very like cool looking uh area yeah it's awesome it is it is extremely it is extremely like crystalline and you get you get the gloom it's 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 cool it's also uh interestingly enough uh revenants toll i think we talked about this a long time ago revenants toll used to just be this uh, little camp in uh in 1.0 i believe and and you can see the remnants of that camp 
just outside next to this gigantic crystal spire that sort of sprung up uh, since the Calamity. And they ended up building out like this huge settlement of of Revenant's Toll over uh, time, and that was like something that the player base kind of contributed to, kind of like a like a restoration sort of deal. Pretty cool, actually. And Revenant's Toll is home to a lot of adventurers and and daring merchants and 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 brilliant archaeologists, all on like the edge of the frontier on this on this scarred uh, world, which is not barren. The uh, Mordona is popping with all sorts of crazy shit magical oh, yeah. creatures and constructs and allegan ruins and all this stuff it's wild yeah this this place is like if you're an adventurer's adventure this is the place to go and as such basically everybody who lives there is like gruff and tough you know and 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 ready to throw down against the garleans basically zero questions asked which is very convenient because uh, at this point, doing a bunch of extra busy work again would be kind of lame. So you head to Slathbjorn, a man who is pretty respected among the community. He's like head of the Adventurers Guild or something. And he, you kind of tell him about the plan. You need to get into Castrum Center to rescue your friends. And this guy goes, ah, well, I know who you want to talk to. There's this guy named Glaumont who fucking hates the Imperials, and you should talk to him. Yeah, and oh boy, does he hate those Imperials. It's like all he wants to fucking talk about, but he's also very good at coming up with devious plans. And his devious plan is that you need more information to come up with a devious plan. And the way you're going to get that information is you're going to go into the swamp and you're going to put you're going to stick your head in a sewer pipe and just listen for a good long while until you get some more information uh, that that just so happens to uh, to wander on down the pipe through uh, just acoustics. Yeah, so you listen there and you hear some information, right, about, you know, the, the prisoners are still there. Minfilia is refusing to spill the beans on anything. And also, I, I love this detail. All of the Imperial soldiers are very annoyed about Yurianje because they don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, li- literally, literally, he can... The the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Yurianje is it doesn't matter if he talks because you need a fucking translator to, to understand what he's saying. Yeah, they're all the Imperials are just like, I wish he'd shut the fuck up. <laughs> makes my head hurt every time he's talking because I'm trying to figure out what he's saying. Yeah, they're, 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 all getting a little, they're all getting a little bit tired of this whole affair, frankly. With that, you know that they are indeed within Castrum Century, so it's time for the plan to commence. So, in order to sneak through the front door, of a heavily fortified girl in prison, you need three things. One, you need well-fitting uniforms. Two, you need to know how to do an Imperial salute. And three, you need a fucking huge, scary Magitek Reaper drone or armor. It's not a yeah, drone. You, you, need, you need a tank. You need. You, you need literally a need a tank. Um, now, getting those first two things is not especially difficult. You've got to, like, you know, just kill some people, take their clothes naturally uh skulk in the shadows and watch some guys you know do like a fascist salute real quick and then you learn aha so that's how you do it uh that that's not that's not too difficult but getting the tank that's a little more involved so the thing is to rob a piece of hardware like that is kind of dangerous because obviously they're going to keep inventory of that stuff. And if they get wind that an entire Magitek Reaper has up and vanished, they're going to investigate. So 
Sid has a brilliant idea because the thing about Garlemald is that they have a radio. They have like actual electronic communications, not link pearls, like actual fucking radio. So he's going to jam it using a particular formation of crystals. I really like this because he's like, he has you go to this big crystal spire near evidence toll and take readings to make sure that like it's going to resonate in the exact right way to fuck up their communications. Yes, and it turns out it is the perfect formation that you need to do this. So Sid sort of finagles it and gets this all set up for his uh, his master plan here. In the meantime, you're going to need to uh, to go on up to just outside Castrum Sentry and um, sort of trick this big, but not too big, group of people, like a, like a little task force that has their own Reaper, and uh, and send them out there on a uh, wild goose chase for some some uh, insurgents. You uh, you give them the old ambush treatment, and uh, you manage to secure this uh, this beautiful little piece of kit here, a uh, a Magitek armor that uh, that everyone has just decided is named Maggie now. So something about the Magitek armor. Because I think this might be the first time it pops up. It might have popped up a few times beforehand, but this is the first time it's really focused on. The Magitek armor in this game is basically directly lifted from the Amano illustrations of the Magitek armor from Final Fantasy VI. It obviously did not look this detailed in the game, but this is this is basically one for one the like sort of a mono representation of this stuff from Final Fantasy VI, and they sell a huge and expensive statue of this if you want to get it. It's like a thousand. I kind of want. I kind of want the statue. I'm not gonna lie. A lot it's of the statues really are pretty sick. Let me let me see exactly how big it is. Isn't it like I don't know, like one like fifteenth scale or something crazy? Here we go. Square Enix Masterline Final Fantasy VI, one-sixth scale. Jesus. 30 inches tall, and there are only 600 units. Also, I was was mistaken. It is not $1,000. It's $13,000. Well, you know, naturally. Uh, listen, if, you, if you're if you making a, a piece of Magitek armor uh, about the size of a human toddler... Here's the statue, by the way, and as you can see, it is ridiculous ridiculously detailed it's pretty sick though not gonna lie if i had thirteen thousand and thirteen thousand and eight hundred dollars to like blow on something random i would get this they yeah, are still it, taking pre-orders kind of awesome. because surprise unsurprisingly there aren't like 600 guys who are just spending all that money on this site unseen yeah no it's it's a very niche product but uh but if you can get your hands on one then uh hey you know and uh, but that that's another like referential thing in this game of like someone who can look at that and go ah I remember that from Final Fantasy VI. Also, yes. I just I just want to say that one of the guys involved in this quest line is named Sark Malark. Oh yeah, Sark Malark, and Sark Malark is actually kind of fun to me because Sark Malark is apparently the kid of somebody on the syndicate. It doesn't say they don't say who. But he's apparently, like, extremely a rich kid who just decided to run away from home and go, like, be an adventure out in Mordona. And that's kind of fun. I mean, considering what I know about the Syndicate, I would also not want to be around any of those nightmare people. Right. So, you, you get the armor. 
And I love this because immediately Sid looks at this and goes, oh, f- Jesus fucking Christ. They really ran this thing into the ground. Oh, important, though. Important. We got to talk about the fastball special. We got to talk about the fastball special. Oh, man. Like, okay. So Biggs and Wedge, the boys, they they do a fastball special and uh, it's adorable. Biggs picks up wedge basically by the scruff and throws him up in the air he does like a like 1080 spin and uh then like spreads his arms and legs out like a star and then he lands uh right in the uh right in the driver's seat of this thing and it's adorable it's great uh love these boys and you take it back to the little workshop in in Revenant's Toll, which is when they they kind of dig into it and go, they have not repaired this fucking thing for like seven years. So really, you know, we 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 uh, we discuss a lot about how you know Garlemald is inspired by various real empires. Obviously, the Romans are one of the most prescient uh, or one of the most like obvious inspirations. However, considering that all of their tanks are like barely maintained and and fucking terrible. Also, some Russians. Yeah, some Russian influence in there. Yeah, you got some. You got some Russian vibes in there. It's. It's. I. I do kind of like it though a lot because you get this like impression, um, just by how like the cast rooms here at the end of ARR are kind of organized. You get this impression that like a lot of this material is left over from like the first attempt to invade Eorzea when it was um yeah. the the other guy's legion. Nail Vandarnus. Yeah. And the seventh and legion, I believe. The se- yeah, the seventh legion mostly like collapsed after that whole deal and they just left all this equipment behind and those fortresses kind of stayed stagnant forever. So you have like a ton of equipment that's just like been old and kind of dry rotting in storage this whole time. And they don't like have a good direct line to Garlemald to get all this stuff like serviced or get like refreshed you know troops or anything like that other than like what Gaius brought with him because like again Garlemald is kind of having some internal issues right now and the 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 main issue with the armor is that the the Magitek core is shot and as well the the servo mechanism is not working very well and apparently you know so the Magitek core obviously is the thing that makes it go and the servo mechanism all one word by the way is kind of like it's it's almost like um it seems to be kind of a, a semi-automation of like the movement systems for this thing because trying to pilot these 100 percent on your own seems like it would be very difficult to do in the middle of battle so the servo mechanism kind of acts as a, as a kind of like taking a, the burden off of the pilot in that situation yeah because it's you know, I, I imagine without the servo mechanism, the way it would work is you would have to like one to one move each leg independently and do all of these like complicated, you know, movements like with the controls by yourself, which seems like it'd be a lot more difficult to do than just, you know, putting your foot on the gas pedal and steering it left and right. Right. So. Uh, instead of sneaking into the cash room to steal a new Magitek heart, they decide to go with a substitution instead to go get a Mammoth heart from the Goldsmiths Guild up in Ulda. So a, ma- a Mammoth is kind of a, an automaton, basically. It's a, it's a little metal guy with who has, like, some degree of, of sentience. I think they're actually, like, 
fairly sentient. Uh, yeah, the man, the, the mammoth heart is referred to a lot of times as a clockwork soul. So that's a very cool. I love that. That's my favorite. Uh, I can't think of a band right now. It's I mean, an album by itself. It's a pretty good. It's a pretty good album or band name, frankly. Yeah. So you had you had to uh, uh Unfortunately, Wedge is like, well, it's really expensive, and we didn't have time to call ahead so you'll just have to do it however when you when you get there serendipity the goldsmith's guild master says oh yeah i, I alphano called and said that his manservant would be coming to pick up this heart so please no no payment needed he's a he's a beloved patron of this guild yeah apparently alfie here is uh is dropping mad dosh on some on some like uh beautiful jewels and jewelry hey can I Alf Alphano? We need, we need to talk about the manservant thing. I'm we. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The ser- the servant asshole. thing. The the servant thing. You know, maybe don't maybe don't call us that. It's a it's a little demeaning. Uh, but also, you know, maybe maybe you need to like I don't know just 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 check your spending habits a little bit, bud. Like he won't. You, you might have a problem. Like an impulse problem. He likes he likes buying the shiny things. He really does like buying the shiny things. And so you you, you install the heart and you and you kind of uh, take take Maggie here out for a little spin. You, you get to ride around the outskirts of Revenant's Toll, and everything seems to be working okay. But nothing is at like full right. Like nothing is really working to its maximum capacity yeah and notably none of the weapon systems are working right now either yeah it's a big problem so before but before any of that can be solved some guys show up looking for the missing uh reaper and of course this is where it comes in they try radioing for backup to report the reaper and then Sid James the radio. Yeah, this this cutscene's also very funny because you, you well you get two very funny moments in it where Sid is like Sid's, like Sid activates the um the jammer here and he like he like punches his his hand his fist into his other hand, you know, like the the classic thing. But for this singular only instance that i can recall in the whole game they added a really funny punch sound effect to it. They do. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, and also the guy who's like leading this like group of three randos like sees who is here and is like ah oh, shit ah oh, beans um this is bad we we shouldn't be here so you kill those guys obviously yeah, th- they they get completely exploded it, it does not take very long they do have a magitech vanguard which is like a it's like a weird mech i don't know if it's a mech do people pilot these things? I don't think they do. I think sometimes they do, but this one doesn't. A Vanguard is basically like it's like a triangle on it's legs. It's like a big triangle. It's got two huge drills. It's like uh, either Gurren or Lagan, whichever one is the head. <laughs> I don't remember yeah, which one li- it is. Literally. Uh, but you kill that thing and you kill the other guys. And then, because this whole time, because you installed a Mammoth Heart into this Magitek armor... It has a soul now. Yeah, it's got a personality and like a whole thing going Which on. And that's, I just feel like the Ironworks are a bit too blasé about that. Yeah, it's, you know, you've made the world's first smart tank. Uh, that's great. That's great. I'm sure that won't cause any problems. Um, don't watch Ghost in the Shell. 
Well, why would that be an issue? That yeah. nothing bad happens and goes in the shell regarding technology gone awry. That's true. I've never um, seen it. I just, I just like to look at the lady. <laughs> I don't even really know what it's about. It's about it's about ghost hunting, right? Yeah, yeah, basically, basically. It's ghost hunting um, at the beach, like ghost in the yeah, shell. Yeah, you ghost hunt at the beach. Uh, you go for go for a funny swim. Uh, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. But yeah, so you you gotta like you gotta make your brand new smart tank feel welcome. You know, she just, you know, she's new to the team. It's, you know, it's a little awkward. You know, when you meet new coworkers for the first time, it's always a little awkward, a little scary. You know, you gotta like do some icebreakers, you know, play around a job job, that kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, Maggie is, is part of the team now, which means all of the pieces are now in place to break into cash from century. Also, Wedge paints the Ironworks emblem on it in Celebration, which I think perhaps you should have waited until after this. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a little bit of a dead giveaway. Uh, Hilariously, nobody catches it until literally the very end where you reveal yourselves. I guess it's only, like, kind of on the side, so it'd be, like, a little hard to see or whatever. But like, like, It's like an inside joke for all the boys. Yeah, there you go. Before you head out to Castrum Century, you're, you're in there watching the boys finish the work on Maggie. Glaumont stops in to, to say he's excited that you're going to kill a bunch of Imperials. And Sid decides to ask why he hates the Empire so much. Sir, you don't ask that question to people. You like, hey, why do, you hate, why do you hate the fascist Empire? Probably because they did something fucked up, but, you know. And they so, did. Yeah. I don't know what it is about A Realm Reborn where this keeps popping up. I don't understand what it is. By this, I mean the... The, the oh the dark gritty unpleasant fantasy stuff right the the tonal whiplash in this scene is fucking unreal he just tells you very casually exactly why he hates the imperials and the it, like the it, it's so out of pocket it's all right it, it, yeah it, it involves it involves this dude's mom and sister being worked to death in a labor in like a forced labor camp. oh no no you didn't you missed the the implications didn't you oh did i did he I was in the, the impl- he was in the forced labor camp what he says is that they were they had far worse done to them oh oh right Oh, it's so. even worse. And when yeah. they all tried to escape from said camp, instead of being recaptured, they threw themselves off a cliff. Oh, God. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I like my reading better. Can we, can we do that one instead? Like, hey guys, no. like, uh, okay. Like, this is, this is like, once and, again, just like with the last time where the local pervert is a guy who can be in this game. This stuff keeps popping up in ARR. It's, it's, it pops up with Sestasha. It pops up with the Serpent Reavers. It pops up here. And it's, it, there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. And like, the thing that gets me about this scene, too, is like this dude, the, like he gets asked this question. And he just very casually just like splays out his like whole trauma backstory in like two paragraphs like this is a short scene like he does this whole thing in like two paragraphs and then he's like oh but you know i you know i'm just the planning guy you know you guys go ahead you get your fill 
of killing these dudes, and I'm just gonna hang back, and you know what, I'm gonna be rooting for ya, anyway, good luck, see ya, I'm gonna go get a beer, like, Why the fuck are you here? It's so, like, it's, like, it's pointless, like, what is the point, like, we, okay, we, we know, like, we are aware that Garlemald is bad, like, we know this, We've been given evidence of this. We don't need, like... Like, sometimes things are a little better left unsaid. And I think, like, the thing about Error that gets to me is, like, it wants to have its cake and eat it, too. Like, it's this very, like, like campy, like, adventure kind of deal. Like, you, you've got this extremely, like, basic Final Fantasy plot of, like, you get all the funny crystals, and then you go beat the bad guys up kind of thing. Like, you know, this this isn't, like, a gritty war novel, but they try to, like, insert that into it. And if they wanted it to be that, that wouldn't even necessarily be bad, Right? Like, if they wanted to go in on that idea, that would be fine. I think that could even be good. But because they kind of stop halfway, they just, like, they, like, just inject little bits of that in to, like, an otherwise, like, very normal kind of adventure story. It just gives you this, like, super tonal whiplash, and you're just like, wow, that was unnecessary. Moving on. Yeah, like, because that's the thing. You just move on from it. It's not anything that is relevant to any character that matters or the world building in general. This never comes up again, really. Um, And, like, I don't know. I don't think you need to just slide in the idea that the Garlean Empire has comfort women or whatever from some dude named Glaumont. Yeah, Glaumont and his buddy Sark Malark over here don't need to be your, like, serious, gritty, like, realism injection into the thing to remind you just how fucked up empires are, like... And obviously, I don't need... Like, when I'm not saying that you can't write a story with that stuff in it or that talks about that stuff, but you can't just it's not a seasoning it has to be the yeah. it has to be part of the main dish if you're gonna do it you have to like think about it, it yeah it ha- it has to like you can't just drop this stuff as like you know as sentence enhancers or whatever like you need to like like these are topics that need to be addressed with a level of like genuine care and seriousness because it's not like a situation of like oh this is like a really dramatic thing that we could use to spice up our story like no this is like real shit that happens like in history and also like current history so you need to like you know kind of give it some some thought if you're gonna insert like forced labor camps and like implied rape and things like that like you can't just you can't just drop that in two paragraphs and then be like okay bye i that was my character everybody i'll see you later you know like you there's a level of care that needs to be taken that you just don't get in this part of the story and it drives me up a wall so comment leaves uh both the scene and the story 
I don't think he ever is relevant to anything that matters at no, the very he least. He never shows up again, unless I mean, okay, I can be wrong, but I don't I'm sure think there's he shows like, up again. I'm sure he's in some kind of side quest thing or whatever, but like uh, he's maybe. not important. Anyway, it's time for the fun uh, prison break. So you sneak into the front door just fine. Well, first, um, first, before before that, before that, we get a little cutaway. We get a we get a cutaway cutscene. One of the one of the few voice cutscenes in this portion, and it is uh, Livia smacking the shit out of Minophilia. And this scene, once again, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get up on my on my little my little plinth here because the. <laughs> the tonal difference in how like the this scene is treated in english versus japanese is like kind of incredible like it's it and i don't mean that in a good way yeah yeah from what i remember minfilia doesn't sound particularly bothered by any of this whereas in japanese she seems like she's barely holding it together well okay that's that's only kind of true so minfilia is has got her normal cadence of just like flat really, you mean just really nothing. really flat but she has to do like painful like pained oh, stuff and oh, the thing the oh, thing no. is the thing is uh, of, if if you've ever done any any voice work, you know that uh, there's a very there's a very fine line uh, that exists between you know pay, pained moaning and groaning and a you know a different <laughs> flavor oh. of, of moaning and groaning. So what you're saying is in Japanese this is an interrogation in English. It's some kind of role play. You, it kind of gives it a little bit of that flavor, frankly. Like you know, she's trying, and it it can it's harder than you think to actually make that distinction it's when you're really doing hard. that voice. Act. It is genuinely really really hard to do that. Um, so you know, I'm not knocking you know Minfilia's English voice actor here, but. But it does come out a little bit it like that, and it's very funny. It doesn't help that Livia is a little bit like femme fatale, sexy villainess sort of situation. Yeah, it's the lips, I feel, that really do it, right? And also she's like, like the, the big iron lips. She's like backhanding Minfilia, which is a weird way to like interrogate someone. It's like, yeah. it, it gives it a different energy. It gives it a very, very different energy, but uh, really the the important information that you need to pull from this cutscene is that Livia wants to transfer all the prisoners to Castrum Meridiatum immediately, uh, which means that your rescue mission uh, just happens to be going off in the literal nick of time. Yeah, and Castrum Meridiatum is the main Castrum of the 14th Legion. It's where Gaius and the Ultima Weapon are. And it is fucking airtight. You are not getting into this one as easily as you got into Sentry. Yeah, you know, wear, wearing a funny hat and and stealing a tank is not going to cut it to get in that building. No, sir. So, uh, also, I'd like to say, if you're interested in hearing the, 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 the distinction between pained grunts and other grunts, I would say just go uh, look up all of Leon S. Kennedy's uh, sounds in Dead by Daylight. Because I'm not sure the voice actor understood the assignment or he understood the assignment better than the game developers. It depends on which way you look at it. Yeah, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit much. 
Um, well, it's more than a little bit it's, much. It's, it's quite a lot. Uh, so but... <laughs> we, uh, you kind of go around the base and to, to get some information to try and find a key card to get to this gate. And there's a there's a guy here that I don't like, the Tataru guy. Oh, right. What's up with okay. this dude? Okay, so, yeah, you have to blend in with the Imperials, and, you know, you gotta ask around, like, hey, you know, I heard that we got some weird prisoners, you know, where where are they at? And there's a dude who, so everyone else is, like, doing something, you know, very, like, henchman-holding-wrench situations, but there's one guy, like, way off in the corner who's just kind of chilling under a tree, and you hit him up, and he's like, hey... Hey, you think, uh, you think they'll let me, uh, uh, get the key to the prisoner's room? Uh, cause I really like that Lollafell a lot. And I'm just like, mmm. It's a thing where at first, he just says he's in love with one of the prisoners, and you think, oh, obviously he's fallen in love with Menphilia, yada yada. And then the joke, I guess? Question mark? Yeah, is that he's, he's real into Tataru, and it's like, mmm. And it never gets like too weird he mostly just seems to think she's really cute or whatever but i don't know it's it's, it's real just, weird it's a, it's a little it's a little uncomfortable i'm not i'm not a huge fan mm, of this guy yeah. he comes off a little weird but uh you know moving on moving yeah, on yeah um, he's like yeah man whatever have a good time i guess and you leave that guy and you go talk to the centurion yeah you talk you... to the main dude here now you get the key card because everyone is scared shitless of Livia because he's like, well, I can't just give anyone a key card. And you go like, well, what, what is, what's the tribunus going to say about this? And he goes, oh fuck, I don't want to die. Yeah, she's a scary lady who we know from the uh, from past experience <laughs> is not scared to shoot her own dudes in the back for no yeah. reason. Well, that guy was having too good a time. She at least had some reason to do it. Maybe not the response I would have gone with. Perhaps, like, some time in the brig and some counseling. But, you know, yeah, different yeah. managers have different styles. Sometimes you got to cap a guy in the back yeah well you you know you 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 get your you get your key card and you start making your way through and uh, you end up at like sort of one of the central buildings here and you kind of peep on the inside here and minfilia just goes from like zero to a thousand because yeah i love um, this because okay these these guys are hassling everybody and they're like Oh, we're gonna fuck up your friends, and we're gonna take you all to Castor Maria. You know, we only really need you anyway, lady. And she's like, "Listen, bitch, you touch one hair on any of their heads, and I am immediately killing myself." Yeah, because like she knows they want the echo. I'm like, no, you don't get shit if you harm any of my friends. I don't know how she plans to do that. She's she's got one of those like cyanide tooth capsules. Oh, she fuck. prepared ahead of time for this one. Yeah, that must be it because she's fucking tied up. So like, what what was she gonna do? Like run under the foot of a Magitek Reaper or something? Well, she obviously she was just gonna cast flow. Um. Oh. <laughs> well, that's a joke everyone will get in like three months. <laughs> so wedge sees tataru there and obviously he likes tataru and he's let way it's way less weird because of the you know they're both lalafell which is fine yeah 
and he runs in there and blows your cover and so like they bigs is basically like well if we do this the entire base is gonna know we're here but this is basically our only chance to get anything done so fuck it we're going fuck it we ball literally fuck it we ball and i mean it ends up working out because you close the door behind you and you have a tank yeah it turns out three dudes can't do much against the tank well a tank and also everybody else so it it ends up working out pretty well you you end up uh getting everybody together and you start making your way out of this uh out of this base here unfortunately it is an entire military base which means it's you know staffed by more than like seven guys yeah this is a lot of dudes here also we get a brief cutaway to what ida and yishtola are doing during this time which is confronting livia they kind of corner her on the on on the base with seemingly no one else around and they're ready to like throw down they're ready to get revenge especially ida who's oh, like yeah. i will fucking kill you for what you did you motherfucker let's go yeah they're they're pretty ready to go and you know could 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 Ida and Yishtola actually take out Livia? Yes, uh, you know, it, I I think probably. Uh, She's just a lady with some guns. That is true. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to see it because uh, again, military base uh, places don't remain completely empty for very long typically, and some dudes show up and are like, hey. Hey, our boss is getting attacked. Let's get in there. You get to see um, like a brief cool thing where like Livia and Ida clash fists or like, you know, we- fist weapons and like there's a big explosion and Ida backflips over Livia's head and runs away. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty sick actually. I think the way that it seems like it goes is that uh like Ida punches her like uh, pugilist gauntlets directly into like the barrel of livia's wrist guns and livia pulls the trigger and she like uses the force of the gun explosion to like launch herself and do a super backflip to land next to yishtola it's kind of awesome because ida uses these like fucking huge chunky stone cetuses i think they're called yeah it's they're they're quite large and so they they manage to slip away meanwhile you and the rest of your pals are dealing with some shit yeah it's it's not great livia orders gaius to be informed of the intruders because he's over there i don't know shining the fucking magitech armor's bulge or whatever <laughs> and so the thing is you don't have that many combatants right wedge like holds off a horde of soldiers on his own to give you some time to escape then all these magitech vanguards show up with she that are shielded by Jenner. It this whole solar is interesting because you kind of have to like find these enemies hidden around the map that are that have these shield generators that make the big enemies invincible briefly yeah this this one's kind of frustrating because if you don't know exactly where the shields are and i forgot obviously because like it's been a billion years since we've done this content somehow i remember it's it's a little frustrating because you'll like you'll you'll go to like fight the big doritos and uh then you gotta run around and try and find everything now luckily the scions can basically take care of themselves like you have like a full 
compliment, right? Like, they, they can heal themselves, and, like, you're not in danger of any of them getting downed or anything. But, that being said, it is it is just a little annoying having to run around a, uh, a tight little, like storage yard which the camera doesn't cooperate super well in you get like this this is a problem you get in a lot of uh arr areas and they fixed it in some of the dungeons like some of the dungeons got fixed in in this regard but it it's a very common early game problem where they haven't yet kind of acclimated to the the player camera so you end up in these situations where you're kind of wildly having to swing it around corners in a way that's like like kind of difficult it it just makes navigating the whole thing a little bit complicated in a way it doesn't have to be yeah so you eventually get all these and and they pull out like a new guy they pull out the magitech colossus who by the way for whatever reason is shorter than the triangle men here which is very funny typically typically they are larger which (laughs) So it's an it's an early model. It's a prototype. Yeah. But you 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 kind of get everyone kind of reunite. There's a cool scene where like you're you're cornered on the edge of a cliff by all these Garlean troops, and then fucking Yishtola leaps in to give a. Fu- she has an energy shield apparently. Yeah, she has this uh, this big like bubble shield she can cast, and you know everybody everybody's like having some fun witty banter it's it's kind of it's kind of fun uh you know it's it's got a little bit of the you know weird delivery stuff yeah. but overall i, I think anyway, it's I, I like i really like this because like this is actually the first time it's like oh the scions they're they're, they're my pals i like them and it's, the game's almost over so yeah yeah literally this is the first cut scene where all the scions are like together and they're like working with each other and you get like like the interplay of like you know Shola puts a shield to prevent all the gunfire, and then Papalimo like pops this dude who's behind Yshtola, and then like Ida comes in and like all this stuff, and you just get this like this this like cool interplay where they feel like a team and they're like working together, and then like Sid shows up and is like, okay, everybody on the count of five, jump off the cliff, and everybody jumps off, and you get away on your on your blimp here and it's just kind of a shame that you don't see that like until the very last like five levels of arr like i understand that the pacing of arr was already a challenge because there's so many fucking levels to to fill with content right but i I feel like the Scions as a group could have been better sold in the beginning, right? Like, you spend, you obviously spend time with each individual Scion, uh, hanging out with them, doing these quest lines, but so much of them, like, they aren't really actually participating at all. Like, they're just hanging out. They're just around. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a real problem where they were really committed to this Act 2 situation where, like, they, they really wanted, like this you know oh the scions have been destroyed and you have to bring them back from the brink kind of start of act three situation you know this is a bit it's a pretty classic way to do a three act kind of deal here and and i get that i do get that i think it was a poor choice i think it was a really 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 poor choice here because you don't get the chance to really see the scions as a unit until the very 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 end when you finally reunite the band and you never get to really see 
Tancred participating because, of course, Tancred is La Habrea, which we will find out in like two seconds. Because so, yeah, the, <laughs> the the question on everyone's lips is where is Tancred? Because he's not. He wasn't at the. He wasn't at the Waking Sands. He isn't. He hasn't been captured. He wasn't with Ida and Yshtola. So where is Thancred? As it turns out, yes, he has been La Habrea for some time now. Because the Enterprise nearly gets shot down by the Ultima Weapon, uh, which is finally named. I think. I don't know if it's actually been named before this, but Menphilia identifies it as the Ultima Weapon, a, a creation of ancient Alag, melded with Garley and Magitek. To create a new horror. Yes. Um, and Gaius is down there, obviously, and, and next to him is La Habrea, who finally lowers his hood and, and takes off his mask to reveal that he is Thancred. Yes. And everyone gets shocked and appalled. Uh, you know, Alphino is like, oh, he betrayed us. He betrayed us from the very beginning. How could we have missed this? How could we how could we have possibly known that Thancred was actually an Asian? forever the whole time since we've ever known him which i think is kind of hilarious that that's the first thing they jump to here but like um yeah it's you know gaius has his little gloating moment where he's like you know hey you, you know run away if you want but i've literally already won so you know um, yeah he's like i've i've delivered my ultimatum it's ultimately up to the weak-willed leaders of Eorzea for what they will do. And if they are wise and they care about their people, they will bend the knee. Yeah, and then you get a cutscene on the, the Enterprise as you fly back to Old Da as fast as possible to, you know, run in the, the, the chamber of rule and go, hey, don't sign surrender papers yet. We're still alive. Hold on a second. And this, this cutscene's weird. This cutscene's really, really weird. Because this cutscene has two completely separate conversations happening at the same time, but only one of them is subbed. So, I, again, I played this game originally in Japanese, so I had no fucking clue what Minfilia was talking about. And frankly, even in English, it's very hard to make out what she's saying while Alphano is giving his, like, big rousing speech. You know, Alphano's speech number, like, four of ten billion here. The boy loves but to talk. He does. And, but, like, okay, so so Minfilia's, like, side conversation, she just gets on the phone in the middle of this, which is very funny. She's just like, hey, Kryle, hey, do you have that thing that I ordered, like, Wait, three really? weeks ago? Yeah, literally, that's the conversation. She's like, hey, Kryle, hey, yeah, no, I know you're busy. Can you get that thing I asked for? Yeah, you know the thing that I paid you to, to make for me that one she, time? She yeah, mentions can- Kryle by name? Yes, literally wow. straight up, she says, hey, Kryle. Like, it's like, it's straight up just like asking Kryle to show up to the uh, the Waking Sands and deliver a thing, uh, a thing that ends up being being this, uh, this, this, like, crystal of darkness that they want to use to, uh, to seal away uh, La Habrea or something. Yeah, and that's, that's a little bit later. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is, is a little bit later. It's a weird staging decision for sure to just have, like, a, like, it's like a fucking scene of Uncut Gems where, like, there's as many background conversations as possible intersecting and, and crossing over with the main conversation, but kind of unrelated to it to, to sort of sell the, the chaos, the chaotic nature of it all. But here it's just like, it's just Alphano talking to you. And then in the background, Minfilia is on that dang phone. 
Yeah, it's so rude. Like, why are you having a phone call right now, ma'am? This isn't even like a long phone call. You could wait. <laughs> and the funny and the and the thing about this phone call too, on top of that, is like when that scene comes up, when when like you know, like Kryle shows up. First off, it's it's what gets me is that it is out of nowhere, and it's in a way like you wouldn't know that this was coming or what was really going on unless you paid attention to this background dialogue that's almost impossible to hear because Alphano is talking over it. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't get it. It's real weird stuff. Then, as we arrive in Eldar's airship landing, we get a scene with the Alliance leaders. So, Connie Senna, Merlwib, Rauban, and Nanamo are all in the, uh, the the fragrant chamber, whatever it's called. They're like the the, the royal chamber of rule. Yeah, the royal meeting room of Eldar, and they're all they're all discussing the the news of the day, which is Garlemald has a nuclear muscle tar, and Gaius von Baelstar is threatening to fucking decimate all of Eorzea unless we we play nice and it's interesting right because Merlewood mentions that like yeah of course fucking Ishgar isn't saying shit about this they're too busy fucking dealing with their dragon shit to care about any actual problems yeah so the whole the holy sea of Ishgard has decided to not pick up the phone which is unfortunate so it's just the alliance completely alone and you know Raubon you know, he's ready to fight, but everybody else is kind of like, you know, we lost a lot of people during the Calamity, and, you know, on top of that, like, if we can't, if we could barely handle primals by themselves, how are we supposed to fight a Metal Gear that can just eat them for breakfast, you know? And these are not even bad points, like, they kind of, they kind of have a thing here about this. That's the thing, they they are under the impression that there's nothing that can stop this. They think that all the Scions are dead, and... The only thing, there's nothing standing between Gaius and Bailsar and the rest of Eorzea. As the scene kind of ends, we get Nanamo reminding everyone that, like, whatever we choose, resistance or surrender, it has to be unanimous. Everyone has to be in agreement about this. Yeah, because if, if even one of them decides to chicken out at the last second, then they're all going to get it for sure. Because Gaius has made it very clear that basically any Eorzean resistance is going to, like, count against everybody. He's he's the kind of guy who really believes in group punishment, it seems. Yeah, and so we won't tell you what they decide, because that's where we're ending here tonight, with them sitting down and considering their options. Yes, re- really contemplating those those options here. And uh, and next time, next time we get to do uh the 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 beautiful end of ARR, the the Operation Archon, and ooh, you'll find out what that means next time. So, I don't know if we're going to have a spoiler zone this time. There's not a lot to really talk about with this, I don't think. No, there's there's not an enormous amount I think to go over now that we can't go over better next time, and exactly. that episode is already going to be incredibly long because almost certainly we we've got like three whole duties to go through plus all of Operation Archon a bunch, plus you two know, solo duties, two dungeons, a trial, a lot of voice cutscenes. This is this is where all of the voiced cutscenes in 2.0 end up. They they end up back here. 
yeah, they're it's very, very, very backloaded. Like basically, all of the voice acting is here. Uh, there's a huge cutscene afterwards that is like I think almost twenty minutes long. Yeah, that's that's interspersed with the credits. Like this is this is a large. A large endeavor here but uh but yes we will be graduating 2.0 next time and so uh, but before we go i want i want to say we have so before we move on to the patch right uh to the patch quests to 2.1 and 2.2 which will probably each be their own episodes only maybe two part maybe two episodes depending on how ooh, dense they are yeah it's a little it, the it depends patches on the patch for, the patches are a little dense here so after we finish with the end of ARR, obviously we're going we're, we're going to talk about our uh, respective job quests. So for for me and Aurelius, it would be uh, Arcanist, and then both Summoner and Scholar. And for you and Yisu, it's going to be Pugilist and Monk. Yes, yes. We we're, are, um... we're also going. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, we're we're gonna go over that, and we're going to uh, we're gonna try and go over the uh, a, a, at least all of the dungeons in ARR, right? Like we want to we yeah. want to hit on all of the the dungeons, which does mean, unfortunately, <sighs> you know, Dismal Darkhold, Orem Vale, you know, Pissland. It's yeah. that's important. They're so important. yeah, we're, they're important. We're, we're gonna do an episode on the job quests. We're gonna do an episode on all of the like 2.0 optional dungeons, which is it's interesting because it used to be that you have a lot, you had a lot of of optional dungeons i think it may be only in arr because after that optional dungeons were reserved for post-game stuff and then have basically disappeared uh you get like two if you're lucky for like optional in-game dungeons yeah so like na- nowadays nowadays there's really not that many but back in the day they were really into these optional dungeons and uh i i think i think you know they they weren't necessarily always done great but I think they add something to the world that that is that, that does feel a little missing now in the in the modern era. So we, we don't worry, we will have plenty of time. And of course, we will have plenty of episodes on the Crystal Tower. Oh, yes, we got we got to we got to hit that up because, of course, that is some primo important content. So until then, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we will see you in the fields of Eorzea, adventurers.